Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Thank hey. you so much for tuning in. And third time's the charm, right? Wow, we got a lot of smoke this time. Yeah, well, it's going in your direction for a change, which is nice. Everybody else missed um, me being fogged in the last two episodes. I did include the audio for the first one where you're literally breathing out smoke. Yeah, totally <laughs> fogged. Like, what is it, Danny from Friends? Danny from Friends? Oh, yeah. Gut fog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. God, we are on the edge of our seats, really hoping that... Freaky seats, so sorry about that. <laughs> ...that everything comes together. This is our third time attempting to shoot an episode. First two failures, but we're going to come in strong with this third one. And I am constantly checking to make sure that we're still recording. Yeah. So, goes to show that you really can't plan everything in life because we were planning to launch our video podcast with our October Spooky Tober series, and look what happens two fails. A third time's a charm. <laughs> yeah, so this one is continuing on the theme that we've been hitting all Oct- October. And we're going to go into some kind of dark and spooky tales. And this episode will be all about death. The plague doctors of the old bubonic plague. And how kind of some of the old ancient practices, not ancient, but old practices um, (laughs) that surrounded medicine then. And also... um, how they treated their dead and how some monetized greatly off of death and suffering. Oh god, I can't um, wait to hear the cor- about all the corruption. I'm <laughs> sure there was loads. Yeah, and then we'll be moving into Yeah, I'm going to be scary segment. I've got a little scary segment, so definitely stick around to the end if you like to feel a bit scared or hear some scary true stories, but I'll save it to the end. I won't give it away what my topic is just yet. Ooh. It might be in the title though, so. It's probably going to be in the title. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> I'll be diving into the true stories of people being buried alive. So. Yeah, haunting. <sighs> it was scary researching it. So, yeah, can't wait to share that with yeah, everyone. Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear it. Cool stories. So, um, I guess plague has been on a lot of people's mind pretty recently. You know, we've pretty much just coming out of all the quarantining and stuff from our own pandemic. Yeah. I mean, some countries are still still facing certain things, but um, we're going to be diving into probably what everyone knows as the plague, the most famous plague that humanity has ever faced. A plague so deadly that a third of Europe was wiped out. That's insane. 25 million people in a couple years. All And this wasn't just Europe, but China had equal numbers. Africa, the whole world was like affected by this. And um, actually, I don't know about Africa. <laughs> I just was <laughs> listing countries, but definitely China. Um, Well, yeah, a crazy amount of people were hit by this and um, 
Yeah, so let's dive in. And what what this plague brought about was the invention of the plague doctor and that very famous image that we have of that man in a black cloak with a almost beaked shaped mask and Bird wide face. wide brim hat. Um, you know that so many people at uh, Renaissance festivals, Italian costume parties. It's still they're still paraded in um, in Italy today in yeah. certain festival. But I can't remember what the festival is called. And um, yeah, probably a lot of people were that for Halloween as well. Yeah. So let's get into the history of that. So we kind of all know a little bit about the plague. It was really bad, <laughs> um, and it affected people with really painfully swollen nodes but it wasn't just like lymph nodes it was like you had these swells under your armpits or in your groin or in really horrible places and your skin grew black and peeled and it was just really horrible Um, what caused it was it just like bad hygiene or well we'll get into that what caused it um yeah, because there's another interesting thing. Um, and we'll find out that our own superstition is ultimately what led to our demise there. Um, so, yeah. Most people during the plague locked themselves up. But there were those save few plague doctors who were v- willing to venture into the plague-stricken areas not only to like apparently cure the dead i mean cure the sick but to also tally the number of dead and carry their bodies away for burial so during the pandemic in europe those towns and cities that were affected um, hired plague doctors who practiced um, what passed for medicine at the time on rich and poor citizens. They each got equal treatment. And these physicians, these plague doctors, prescribed what was believed to be protective concoctions and plague antidotes. And they also were the ones who witnessed the wills of the people, the last testimonies, and also they performed autopsies Hmm. on the bodies and before we get into the plague doctors medicine was very different in the 14th century so back then illness was connected to what doctors knew as hippocrates theories of four bodily humors and when i was researching this i saw that it kind of had a resemblance to ayurveda in some things, in some ways, as you'll see. That's so weird because I was like double checking mine this morning. Your Ayurveda, your yeah, doshas? Yeah, I did another quiz because I was like, you know, you know, they can change over time. Yeah. Um. So I was just like, I've always been Veta, Vata. Yeah. And I double checked it, and like I'm still like way Vata, like yeah, over three times. I have hardly any of the other two. Mm. Um, yeah, so this was kind of a Walmart version of Ayurveda <laughs> invented okay. by Hippocrates. And so 
you know, we have in um, the in Ayurveda, the doshas are like vata, pitta, and kapha. There's three yeah. main doshas. Here, the four bodily humors were blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. Yeah, and like, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be. You'd only want to be blood, I guess, out of all of those. Yeah, yeah. They sound gross. So, treatments for any of like the disease, including the Black Death, was based on balancing these humors which is just like balancing the doshas and expelling the sick humors from the body. So here's like some charts. Um, you can see like sangvin, I think is blood. Phlegmat is uh, phlegm. And then melanch and choleric. I don't know what the, which one those refer to. But they're also attributed to planets, signs, seasons, astrological things. Um, so there's a bunch of different charts that... Um, will put up and so historians called Hippocrates the father of medicine because he was kind of the first person in Europe to make a system on what was known about disease and health so it's strange that it took so many centuries to actually start forming a system Mm -hmm. around health Um, that wasn't really a priority back then (laughs) Um, and he he positioned explanations not only for like physical attributes but for mental attributes and even prescribed like therapeutic guidelines on how to deal with them so yeah the, his theory of the four humors was used by most physicians until the middle of the 1900s and this is actually when the medis, me, medicinal thing that um i think uh, what was his name? Roosevelt? No. Uh, Roswell? No. Who was the guy who did the modern medicine? Rockefeller? Yeah, Rockefeller. Rockefeller. Yeah, this, these like, some of these practices were really like horrific and this is kind of what he went off of and to start prescribing his own. Um, so the ancient Greeks established this idea, um, obviously because of Hippocrates. And so... According to the theory of the four humors, the substances that make up the human body are black bile, yellow bile, blood, and phlegm. And he linked each of these humors to an element in the universe and atmospheric conditions. So black bile related to earth with cold and dry properties. Yellow bile uh, related to fire with dry and warm properties. Blood related to air with moist and warm qualities and phlegm related to water with moist and cold qualities. So Hippocrates and his followers never saw disease as solely organic matter, which is pretty wise, you know? They believed that the mind and body were a single entity. As such, during disease, the mind had certain effects on the physical body and vice versa. So um, they said that an excess of one of the humors brought about a specific temperament in, in people. So you, just like Ayurveda, you want to balance them out. Hmm, why not very balanced? So for those with melancholy, black bile predominated. They have a melancholic temperament, are very sensitive, and enjoy artistic pursuits. Choleric. People in this category have a high amount of yellow bile, which is the source of their passionate temperament. They have an enormous vitality and get angry quickly. Sanguine, which is the blood, is the predominant humor in these people. They're confident, joyful, optimistic, expressive, and sociable. 
and phlegmatic. The phlegmatic have a high amount of phlegm in their system. They're deep thinkers, fair, calm, willing to compromise, and hard workers. So which one do you think you are based on those descriptions? Mm. So the, the melancholic, which is sensitive, enjoy artistic pursuits, um, and then the choleric, which vitality, get angry quickly, they're passionate, the blood is confident, joyful, optimistic, create. I feel like it's like a mix of them all. Yeah, totally. Really, like, yeah. I guess, like, the one that I think I'd score a bit higher on would be the sensitive one. Yeah, the melancholic. But I do feel like, uh, you know, part, I can express all parts of those. Definitely. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. I think I would probably maybe have a bit more black bile <laughs> and... And which one is that? It's the melancholic one, which is the black bile. I'd probably have a bit more black bile and phlegm in terms of my unhealthy balances. Phlegm would be like, you know, thinking and overthinking, maybe stuff like mm-hmm. that. Fair calmness. But then you do have, I think, the same, a good balance of them all, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. you're quite humorous. And, yeah. Um, and... What's the other one? I think my main ailment, if I was to say, like, what... If it was, like, a, a main quality that would bring me out of balance is normally, like, melancholy oh, or yeah. some sort of sadness or something. So I think black bile would be... <laughs> Mine would be anxiety, but I don't know where that would... May... Hmm. Yeah. Like, I guess I could be oversensitive. Yeah. Yeah. Which would be this black bile, too. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, according to Gary Lincaster's History of Human Disease, if there was a fever, a hot, dry disease, the culprit was yellow bile. So the doctor would try to increase its opposite, which would be phlegm, by prescribing cold baths. And I don't know if a cold bath would be good for a fever. (laughs) Um, But you can see kind of some flaws. If there was a fever, maybe a cold just... If you want to lower the fever, but then don't normally in fevers you kind of go hot and cold, right? Yeah, so I was thinking. Um, I feel like a like a lukewarm bath, maybe, yeah. or a just warm bath would be better. But mm. so if you had like a cold or something, which would be the opposite, um, they. Um, where there are obvious symptoms of excess phlegm, you know, like producing mm-hmm. snot and everything, uh, the regimen would be to bundle up in bed and drink some wine. I like that. That's a nice, <laughs> that's a nice one. I think we like that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good medicine. Yeah. And if the regimen didn't work, the next course would be with drugs, often hellebore, a potent poison that would cause vomiting and diarrhea. <laughs> signs that the imbalanced humor was eliminated <laughs> so they would prescribe you with poison to just flush out your system which i don't think sounds awful yeah so in the particular instance of the plague physicians prescribed a mix of unsanitary dangerous and superstitious practices bloodletting using leeches as well as established med- medical practices in medieval europe but it also required hiring a professional called a leech collector. And at the time of the plague, most sick people resorted to more primitive methods of bloodletting, such as making a cut on the skin and letting it bleed. 
and infections were a common result of this practice. So you can see we weren't so savvy back then. Yeah, I don't feel like the leech is a much better no. option. Doctors also used a number of herbs and paste to try and control the boils caused when the lymph nodes got infected and swelled up. They were hoping that the humors w would then rebalance and help the body heal. Treatments include covering the black bubbos. <laughs> black bubbos. <laughs> Sorry. So, can you imagine these black, boisterous boils bursting on your Yeah, it's skin? really crazy. I can't wait to find out what caused this. Yeah, so treatments included covering them with a plaster. How long did you have these symptoms before you die? Some people say you wouldn't last four days. Oh, really? Because it's like they've come up with a lot of things to try in the meantime before you do die. Yeah. So it make, made me think, like, oh, maybe this was going on for months. No, no. It was a quick death. Um, so there was um, some treatments, including um, putting a plaster of theriac paste, which was a mystical cure-all concoction that included over 70 ingredients, such as opium, viper's flesh, wine, and numerous herbs and roots that we'll kind of get into a bit later. And if theriac wasn't available, physicians would just recommend more crude options, such as boil lancing, which could be using a hot needle to pop the boil, mm -hmm. sear it, um, or rubbing herbs or onion on the boils. That would sting, I bet. Or bathing in urine and drinking vinegar. Of course, you always get to that point. <laughs> Well, head to naturalists always go to that point eventually. <laughs> they always get to the urine. You gotta bathe in the, ur the urine. Drink it, bathe in it. Yeah, so let's dive in. So, yeah, so this is where the plague doc this was the plague doctor's job. They were the ones going about doing this. And um, one of the questions is. Why did the plague doctors dress the way they did? Like, why did this um, very iconic mask and costume um, come about? I feel like it's obvious. Yeah? Like, I feel it's to protect themselves from getting sick. Yeah, definitely. You know, having all that space in the beak to breathe and keeping a good distance if it's like if you catch it through the air yeah um like between you and them yeah probably work better than the covid masks yeah so there was multiple di yeah they probably would yeah <laughs> the covid masks are horrible <laughs> so there was a bunch of different kind of plague doctors that some of the original ones which i'll show you later did not look as kind of cool or aesthetic as the ones we're used to. And I think the development of the real aesthetic behind it came a bit later after the plague happened. Um, but there were, were definitely um, these... Like that picture you just showed me, I the pictures I'd seen before, it was much longer. Yeah, so those... It was super long. The Italians begin... The Venusians, I think, developed this, like... It's almost a masquerade mask based on the plague doctor, mm -hmm. and um, 
there was a lot of artists who did different renditions on it as well. So it it became quite iconic, but it got altered a lot as well. So the original costume, there's there was two main ones. One of them was a black, the person wore black cloak coated with wax, leather gloves, a wide brimmed hat, and a bird-like beak mask. And the beak served as a respirator. And it was stuffed with a mix of over 50 aromatic herbs and minerals such as camphor, lavender, mirror, viper flesh, and all meant to prevent the poisoned air from getting through and infecting the doctor. Mm, so you yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so... Unfortunately, nothing the doctors, the plague doctors really did um, helped. The death rate was almost 100%. So it was like between 96 to 100%. None of the cures they tried to do actually helped. And soon people began turning to astrology, public flagellation, and religious cures, even burning incense to purify the air. And many people just fled towns and cities, moving to the country, which just meant that they brought the plague with them and infected all the towns along the way. And as we'll get into just a bit, it was this very superstition that led to the origin of the Black Plague. So, um, yeah, so during this, the physicians understood that isolating the sick was essential to stop the spread of the plague. So city dwellers were asked to stay home and skip religious services. And there were like 40 day isolation periods for arriving ships um, that were, you know, carrying goods back and forth. And um, they forcibly started sealing their infected in homes and building called pest houses to keep victims segregated. And plague doctors would walk, would be allowed in and they had this like wooden stick and rod that would like keep people six feet away. Oh God. <laughs> so they had this rod and they would also, it, would, it was like an essential treatment tool because they could examine their patients at a distance by poking at boils and stuff like oh, that. Boy. Um, and fend off anyone who's trying to get too close. So now we'll get to your question. The disease was caused by a bacterium known as Yersinia pestis, which was spread via the flea-infested rats that boarded the merchant ships traveling from Central Asia to Europe. Oh, God. So, but at the time, the causes of the pandemic were unknown and superstitions began to arise. Some people used the plague as an opportunity to scapegoat certain groups, blaming the plague on Jewish people, on lepers, beggars, or other unpopular communities of people. So first it was, you know, un- unpopular communities of people. And then um, it became even more common to blame animals for the spread of the disease. And while this was correct, because it was mainly rats and fleas who were spreading it, um, the Europeans became complex, completely fixated on the wrong animal. No. Instead of trying to eradicate the disease-filled vermin that were ravaging the cities, they decided black cats 
were nice. to blame for oh, all their problems. Perhaps. Yeah. So this is where that Christian superstition, that hatred for witches was actually played a huge part in humanity's downfall and um, to the deaths, the, to the death toll. Because um, most people didn't see black cats as anything bad, but it wasn't until Pope Gregory IX came to power in the 1200s that black cats became a symbol of bad luck. Before the 13th century, many societies, especially in Egypt and Asia, as we know, admired and even idolized cats. And they might have had the right idea all along because cats are natural predators who help the pest population, who keep the pest population under control. And, um, you know, they were brought onto ships to help mm. kill the mice and, and even brought into agricultural Europe to help kill pests amongst the crops yeah. but in the early 1200s pope issued a decree in a letter called vox in rama which claimed that black cats were worshipped by heretics and even used in satanic cult rituals so the letter described a ritual a really strange ritual and specific where a black cat, this is crazy, okay? So, a black cat descends backwards with its tail erect. First, the satanic novice, then the master, then each one of the order who are worthy and perfect kiss the cat on its buttocks. Ew. They incline their heads towards the cat and shout, and forgive us, shouts the master. And the, next, the one next to him repeats this, a third responding, we know, master, a fourth says, and we must obey. So this was this ritual described by the Pope um, in the 1200s. And the decree never said to kill cats, but the letter was a warning about an evil cult and rumored practices. And after this letter came out, um, superstitious believers jumped on the idea that black cats were servants of Satan. So... If cats were evil, then that made sense that they were the one responsible for all the death and devastation happening around the continent. So black cats were rounded up and killed for about the next 300 years. What the hell? Yeah. That's heartbreaking. Which made the Black Plague's problem worse. Without, without cats around to hunt pests and vermin... The flea-infested rats that were the actual source of the plague became abundant and thrived mm. and were like running free everywhere. There was fewer natural predators and the rat population exploded, continuing to spread the disease. Jeez. So that's where our own bad superstitions led to um, more death. So, back to the plague doctors. How did they come about? Where did this costume really originate? So here's the man himself. His name was Charles de Lorme, and he was credited with um, creating this mask. He described an outfit that included a coat covered in scented wax, breeches connected to boots, a tucked-in shirt, 
and a hat and gloves made of goat leather. And also the, this rod to fend off or poke victims. <laughs> <laughs> and this was one of the authentic 16th century plague oh, wow. doctor masks, which looks kind of scarier than the the one that we see now looks less less cool way less cool yeah <laughs> it looks ridiculous and this was obviously humanity's first attempt at a hazmat suit you know to like keep out the infection um and yeah so like we said before the beak was filled with the perfume um and and stuffed with all these herbs and stuff and it was only later that the look was so iconic that the Italy plague doctor kind of took on its own artistic interpretation. Yeah, I recognize that one more. Yeah. The white face, the black outfit. Yeah. So, yeah, like we said, the, the suit was intended to protect the doctor from miasma. And... It was believed that the plague spread through poisoned air that could create an imbalance in the person's humors that we talked about before or bodily fluids. And so to counter this, sweet and pungent Did perfumes... Did it really spread through the air or was it the fleas biting you? Well, those who were sick could spread it through sneezes and coughs. Oh, right. So um, if those particles got into the air, you could catch it. Um, so... The sweet and pungent perfumes were thought to be able to fumigate plague-stricken areas and protect the smeller, nosegays, I don't really know what nosegays are, incense and other perfumes were common in the era. So the plague doctors filled their mask with theriac, which is that compound we talked about with over 70 different components, 55 herbs, um, like the viper flesh, cinnamon, myrrh, um, and even wormwood, which was an interesting one because wormwood is um, this like feathery, silvery plant, and it's kind of known as this magical visionary herb. It was right. used in absinthe back in the day before it was outlawed. And it does take a good amount of wormwood to actually start gaining hallucinations. Like, you have to be hitting a pretty strong dose but i kind of like to imagine that the plague doctors were like freaking hallucinating and walking through the streets when this madness is going yeah. on i guess it's one way to get through those times yeah so yeah wormwood was said to um prevent accidents it was also um, used to divert negative energy or harmful magic back to the sender. Um, and when it was carried like in a pouch, it could also act as a charm against the evil eye. So there was um, a lot of like spiritual kind of beliefs around it and um, could even used be used to when burnt to banish like evil spirits is what they said so yeah doc dr delorme the plague doctor thought that the beak shape of the mask would give the air sufficient time to be suffused by the protective herbs before it hit the plague doc doctor's nostrils and lungs but unfortunately 
these herbs did nothing to protect the doctors. Um, because the bacteria could be transmitted through infectious droplets from sneezing or coughing, um, it would just make their way into their masks. You know, it was kind of unavoidable. Um, and the belief was that the herbs would protect them. Mm. But the truth was that it just mixed in with the herbs. It didn't actually offer any protection. So um, the plague doctor suit did little to nothing to truly protect them. Well, did they... Did they die a lot, or did any plague doctor suits that people plague doctors survive? Yeah, so there we'll get into that a bit later. But quick, quick summary is that most of them died. <laughs> okay. Most of them died. Uh, it was more likely it was either did they die quickly or were they lucky enough to last a bit. Um, so. With all this death going on, there was a lot of bodies. A third of Europe. That's mad. Yeah. You know, that's freaking crazy. So, what would... Like, and also, what, like, do you want to touch the bodies? Like, because then you could get it, catch it from the dead body, yeah, maybe? I don't yeah. know if you could. Probably. But, like, that would be a fear, especially because they don't have any clue back then about yeah. anything. So... You could naturally think like, okay, you don't want to be near someone who's sick. Then I don't want to like touch the dead bodies of people who are sick mm -hmm. and catch it. Like it'd be so terrifying. Yeah, and this went on for two hundred and fifty years. And there's so years. many dead bodies. Like what the hell? Like this wasn't a quick. Blow went on out. for two hundred years. Fifty, yeah, two hundred fifty years. Wow, that's mental. Like that's just a ton of people's whole lifetime multiple yeah you yeah. said a ton of people which is multiple yeah three people's lifetime yeah five, ten, but i mean yeah <laughs> generations you mean yeah generations i was gonna say three or four people really <laughs> but um that's just crazy like how are people even giving birth how is that you know how is life continuing in that yeah. time it obviously did because we're here now yeah but it's like but we took a huge hit and how uh, does life continue could you can hardly continue you know you just have to like you still have people would still be working still be procreating because we're here yeah. now yeah trade was still going on families were still doing you just had to uh hope that you didn't die yeah it's insane Crazy. i guess like people weren't living that long yeah. So before this time, most people cared for their own dead. Um, most families cared for their own dead. So there wasn't typically a professional mortician around to clean and dress the deceased like we see today. Mm. Um, families took the task on their self and took care of the dead at home. They would wash the body and dress the body and place it in a casket, uh, which they would purchase from like a general store or a carpenter. And typically women tended to the body, um, which included laying them out and dressing and displaying the deceased body. Funerals would happen at home. And even some rich families had specific rooms for funerals. And even the wealthy had this death door, which was 
um, leading from the formal parlor to the outdoors because removing a dead body through the same door that the living used to enter the house was considered improper. So there were all these things around it. And some, you know, a service could take place at church and then they would either bury it in a church cemetery or on their own property. There weren't all these laws around, you know, burying your dead back then. But um, with the incredible record of dead bodies and stuff and all this stuff going on during the plague, there was a great um, shift in the, even the economics surrounding death. And there was this really cool record that I found um, during the plague. And this, it was basically written by this small landowner named Marcioni in Florence. And he kind of did, wrote down this record of what he was seeing around him. And it's kind of really cool because it's like a first-hand account no, of what was going on. So, in the year of our Lord... Well, that sounds more Russian. Okay, I'm not going to attempt to do an Italian accent. <laughs> you think being born in Italy, you'd be able to do an Italian accent. In the year of our Lord. In the year of our Lord. Okay. Just 1348, there occurred in the city and contrato of Florence a great pestilence. And such was its fury and violence that in whatever household it took hold, whosoever took care of the sick, all the carers died of that same illness, and almost nobody survived beyond the fourth day. Neither doctors nor medicine proving of any avail, and there appeared to be no remedy, either because those illnesses were not yet recognized or because doctors had never previously had cause to study them. So there was such a fear around like when someone caught it in a household um, and it wasn't just men and women, every sentient animal, dogs, cats, hens, oxen, donkey, sheep died from that same disease with the same symptoms and very few recovered. So he explains that the symptoms included um, between either between the thighs and the body in the groin region or under their armpit there appeared a lump and a sudden fever and when the victim spat he spat blood mixed with saliva and none of those who splat spat blood survived um and so there was such a fear that when they saw a family member get sick just show any symptoms the f most people would flee away and um, there was like a really scarce amount of doctors because they were dying like everyone else and um, those who could be found wanted exorbitant, exorbitant fees in cash before entering the house and when they entered the house they would take the patient's pulse with their heads turned away and they would um, assess the urine samples from afar with the aromatic herbs held to their noses. Um, I'm surprised they'd even touch him. Yeah, with the gloves though. Oh, with gloves. Sons abandoned fathers, husbands abandoned wives, wives, husbands, one brother, the other, one sister, the other. Their city was reduced to burying the dead 
to burial. Many died who at their passing had neither confession nor last sacrament. So they didn't even get to you know, speak their will um, and their testament. And when someone and many people actually died of hunger before they died of the disease because when somebody took ill, the other occupants in the house would say, I'm going for the doctor, and they would lock the door from the outside, leaving the person locked within their room because they were so scared that that disease was going to spread. So families would lock their members in rooms and leave them to die. You think they would just at least chuck some food and water in? Yeah, that that eventually did start happening. They would just leave a bunch of food and stuff, like, by the bed or on the shelves around them. Um, and so he, he writes, Many were those who begged their families not to abandon them. When evening came, the relatives said to the patient, so that you don't have to wake up the people looking after you at night asking for things. Um, you yourself can reach for cakes and wine or water, and they are on the shelf above your bed. And w- when the patient fell away, like fell asleep, the family went away and did not return. And um, if the person survived the night, managed to eat the food, the next morning they were still alive, loads of them would go to the window screaming like let me out like I'm in here you know like and um if they even had the voice to to shout because many of them were so sick they couldn't shout Mm -hmm. and um sometimes they would be answered sometimes they wouldn't and even if they were answered there was just nothing people could do there was no help to be had so it was just this fear. You were locked in this room, shouting out the window, like asking for help. But, you know, even if people replied to you, there was nothing anyone could do. You just had to wait and die. So it was pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so um, very few wished to enter a house where there were any sick people. And they would say things like, he's jinxed, don't speak to him. He's got it because there's bubbo in his house or gavacciolo, which is the name they gave to the swellings. Like, he's got the swellings, you know, and he's jinxed. And so many died without being seen by doctors and remaining on their beds till they stank. Um, The neighbors were left to smell the stench and they often would do send out for someone to come and pick up their bodies and bury it. Um, Houses remained open because nobody dared to touch anything within the house that had been infected. And because they believed that things were remained poisoned, that the air within the house was still poisoned. Um, Yeah. So at every church, pits were dug down to the water table as wide and as deep as was possible. And they would dump a body in, cover a thin layer of dirt over them, and then dump another one. (laughs) And this guy wrote, um, like garnishing lasagna with cheese. (laughs) 
<laughs> Isn't that the most Italian description of <laughs> something you could eat? Yeah, were they, were they actually eating lasagna back then? That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, maybe, I guess they Well, must. they must have been. That's yeah. crazy. Like in the 14, in 1400s, yeah. having lasagna. <laughs> Living like kings. Yeah. We can't even make a good lasagna. I know. Well, it's harder with the vegan cheese. Oh, don't blame that. Okay, so this is where the economic thing comes in. So the grave diggers who carried out the functions of clearing out the houses, clearing out the dead bodies and burying them were so handsomely paid that they became rich, like in just a matter of weeks, like loaded. They they kind of like, (laughs) they deserve to be paid well. What a yeah horrible job like such a risky job and it's a shame it's not the same now really you know like how little nurses get paid and yeah they're doing a hard job and yeah but most of them died yeah exactly they would become rich and then they would die um and others would like would have earned like a big bunch and were like excited to make more money, but then they would die before they could get rich. So, um, yeah, he, he goes on to talking about how like the prices of everything just went skyrocketed through the roof and chickens and poultry were unbelievably expensive. The eggs were between 12 and 24 denarii each. I don't know what that Mm. is. Um, but, yeah, they say that, like, the shroud cloth, which was used to cover people, became, uh, went from three florins to 30 florins. Oh. So it times by 10, yeah. you know, in that amount. And so even the rich couldn't, like, afford that eventually. And they just started using, like, these basic cloth to, to bury their dead. Um, the priests were constantly ringing bells because they would ring the bells when someone died. Oh, God, really? So they were constantly ringing bells until an order was passed um, because so much panic was happening because the death bell was constantly being rung. So the sick could hear them and were getting more panicked. And then the healthy were freaking out as well because there was just so much death going on. Um, and the priests and friars, um, were paid great sums as well by, um, yeah, I think they also would be announcing the sick and the death, the death as well. And yeah, there was processions and stuff that all these things ended up being canceled because it was just all these traditions because it was just causing all this panic and um yeah so i'm just gonna quickly go over these and see if there's any more cool points that this guy yeah it's really interesting hearing his report on everything yeah so they say those who profited especially from the plague were chemists the doctors the Polterers and the undertakers, and the women who sold mallow, nettles, mercury plant, and other poultice herbs. 
So these guys became, it became a really rich profession for them. And eventually, so they became loaded and they're, you know, eventually when the plague stopped, there was no more money for them. So what did they do? They, they decided that they needed to come up with a new way of making money and that was by carrying on the funeral rites that they were providing but what before it was just the household that would do it mm. so then these guys were like okay we have to keep it going we have to like mix it in with tradition and all these like undertaker salesmen were basically going around after the plague and offering all their services for caring for the dead and taking care of them and then that's kind of what evolved to our modern day um, economy around the dead. Like if you want to have like a funeral, it can be really expensive um, because of all the fees and stuff that um, you think you need to do. You can't even bury your own dead in anymore. You know, it's illegal. Um, You can't have your own little cemetery for your family or stuff. So that's all, you know been tasked out of people's well. hands like we have land it's like and we should be able to bury our dead if we want to yeah like obviously there could be there should be laws around it that the bodies are really tested by authorities like so that you're not like burying like people alive or murdering them like obviously they should have their death like declared of what it, they died from and mm. autopsy and everything but then after that like i think you should be able to yeah or you should be able to at least i think we're so scared of death you know to at least be able to sit and witness death taking on i think if we can see the process like at least beginning of the body beginning to degrade you're, you're looking at something that is normally something you would revulse away from. Mm-hmm. And um, normally what you revulse away from is something that you haven't fully accepted in the nature of life yet. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, to focus on that, that is something that is reality, you know, and to turn away from that reality generates a fear around it. And um, maybe if we had more traditions like, surrounding the honoring of death and our own traditions and allowing our dead not to just be shipped off to the funeral home the second they die and then taken care of and embalmed and preserved and then put in the ground um we might have a deeper connection with death and with our ancestors and and there is some cultures that still have that kind of you know just because in our culture like it's illegal it doesn't happen anymore but there is um, cultures that still take care of their own, the family take care of their own de- uh, dead. They um, create, they dress the body um, and celebrate it and have their own celebration and funeral and stuff. Yeah. Like, do you remember? I don't know if I watched it with you. I know I watched a few things with you, but the Carl Pilkington. Um, you know, he did mm. that other series where he, he had a whole episode on death and he went all around the world like, yeah, experiencing death with different cultures. And it, yeah. that was, I think it was an African family somewhere in Africa. Um, he stayed with a family and they, 
you know like through the whole process and he at first he was really weirded out like like she's dead and she's right there and that we're having a party because they'd have <laughs> like a party there yeah. and she's all dressed up in makeup yeah and they're like having a party there with this dead body but by the end he was just like yeah this is great you <laughs> yeah. Know? yeah it's better than our black suits and formal silent solemn gatherings you know my dad he said he loves the irish funeral because they pass around like uh, whiskey and stuff and then have a big party afterwards yeah like i guess you can celebrate the life of someone then i guess it does depend on the, the circumstances it is always hard i guess whatever because yeah. saying goodbye is is hard especially in it's the- hard because we've brought been brought up in a society that like it I guess it that sometimes way. it can feel like if you died from natural causes but then if someone's been taken away from you what feels like too soon yeah I can yeah. imagine like if you lost a child yeah like something like that is really hard yeah. to even though they want to celebrate them it's hard to not hold that grief so yeah 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 definitely yeah, so... So, did he have anything else interesting in his report? Um, I think he goes on to talk about, like, just some merchants who would basically be selling cloth for, like, really exorbitant amounts. And, um, yeah, so it was just people who kind of were poor were suddenly, like, really rich. But, yeah, that, that was kind of where he ended yeah it's crazy that that's where funerals like the birth of the funeral um house so they, what was the name of them they're not a funeral house it's like the um, mortuary no yeah that but yeah, it's yeah. like a company yeah a mortician mortician yeah that's crazy how that came about because of the plague yeah so how did they cure it in the end um I think... Did they figure out where it came from rats, or...? You know, I actually don't know. It'd be interesting to know. It would be. Probably should have figured that out, but I was just focused on the bad stuff. We won't be letting you guys know and leave you (laughs) on that cliffhanger with... (laughs) Yeah. Alright, so do you want to transition from the lovely topic of dead body lasagna to being buried alive (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay so um it's called taphophobia taphophobia the fear of being buried alive you have that fear don't you (laughs) yeah i have that fear like who doesn't have that fear like to really think about it. I mean, it how would, is that not scary it, to you? It would be scary, but it's not something that's a phobia. And phobia is like a definition for something that's kind of like a crippling. Uh, what the thought yeah. of being buried alive isn't just like if you was in that situation, it would it would be terrifying. Like you wouldn't want it. Like I just don't see how not everyone has a type of phobia. I feel like everyone does. Everyone like, would not like that. Yeah, like it's a gnarly way to die. Yeah, but it's not something that I think about as like a, a that's 
like when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, it would be shit, but it's not something that like cripples me with fear or yeah. like would make me well, not want to be buried. If you because like, you want to be like cremated, right? Well, I I'm claustrophobic, so that is probably why it's more intense for me. Did you ever watch that movie about that guy who is buried? Like in a horror movie. He was buried under the earth, and then the whole movie was um, set in the coffin that he was buried under. Yeah, like I, I think I've seen a couple of buried alive movies, but mostly I have to turn them off because, mm. like most horror movies, I end up turning them off because I'm crap at watching horror movies. Mm. But I'm coming today with with the horror stories. You know that um, we talked about the in the last no two episodes ago those mummifying monks yeah they would bury themselves yeah alive with basically. just a hole and in like a little thing but the yogis actually buried themselves um they would have like these like renowned yogis would put themselves into a form of stasis so they would it's like this form of meditation where you suspend your breath so you put your body into like a almost like a corpse-like state, except it doesn't degrade because you're continuing to feed it with prana or energy. And they go into this like out-of-body state while their body is preserved. And some yogis are actually still buried today. Um, but they've claimed that those who did it and are got unburied were resuscitated and brought back from that state. How long were they buried for? Like years, like 10 years. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we could look deeper into that in, a, in another. That's like thing. so hard to believe. Yeah, but like there is, um, I remember like seeing like some spiritual shows. You know where it's like the really out there spiritual people who do that te- technique of like burying you alive, like to get over the fear, so they dig like a shadow. Have you ever seen that? They dig I like would a like shadow to be buried break. With with my, I mean, at least with my face They up. give you like something to breathe from, like a straw, mm. and then like they bury you and you feel the earth being like chucked on you until you can't, like till you're completely covered. Mm. Like, yeah. I would like to try that someday. Of course you would. I like... You know, I like being buried in sand. Spiritual out there. No, but I like as kids, you bury each other in sand. Yeah, but sand's different. Why? Because you can push yourself out of it. Yeah, I reckon if it's a shallow grave, you can get yourself out of the earth too. Some loose soil, you know, and it'd probably be very grounding. Probably feel like (laughs) you're tucked away in a nice bed of earth. All right, so let's stick in to being buried alive. Literally. <sighs> being buried alive ranks pretty high on the list of terrible ways to die. We agree on that. Yeah, mouthfuls of dirt choking. Well, it's not even that. It's like a slow death and then realizing oh, yeah. that there's if no... You're and you're running out of breath, yeah. of oxygen. Um, and it used to happen a lot more than it does now. In the earlier days of medicine, it was much more difficult to determine if someone was actually dead or just in a coma or paralyzed. Starting around the 18th century, suspected corpses were subjected to abusive tests to establish death. 
It ranged from the fairly benign nipple pinching all the way <laughs> oh, up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you prefer that to the next thing. Okay. All the way up to hot pokers inserted in the rectum. Mm. Like, if, you're, in a, if you're paralysed or in a coma... Yeah. You know, that's not going to change anything. You're still alive. No, and why in the rectum? At least on the skin. <laughs> like, that would cause irreparable damage yeah. if they were alive. Like, what if they did wake up? Now they've got this burnt rectum. Yeah, but also, if they're in a coma, they can't like, decide to wake up. Because, yeah. like, they're probably out of their body seeing what's happening. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Or if you're paralyzed, you know, you're completely aware of everything, but you can't let people know. Yeah. Terrifying. Like my uncle, he uh, woke up in the middle of a surgery. Oh god, that is that is probably one of my top fears. Yeah, he he. That's probably it... why I wouldn't. Ev- I probably would never get like purpose, like you know, yeah. uh, cosmetic surgery because that fear. Like I would only have surgery if it was life or death. You know, or uh, actually, I had my wisdom teeth, but that was pretty life or death. Yeah, but you don't get put out. Yeah, I did. You did? Yeah, I went under. I had four out at the same time. Damn. Yeah. So you didn't get And that. I was terrified of waking up. Yeah. Yeah, he woke up. He couldn't move. He couldn't say anything. And he felt everything. It was like, a, I think it was like a bone grinding repair or something. Ugh. So imagine <laughs> feeling guy. that. I know. But that must have made you feel scared of it, knowing someone who's experienced that. Yeah, God, deliver the right amount of anesthesia. But even then, yeah, risk waking up. Crazy. So let's, let's go on with yours. Yeah, so while we should be thankful that the days of inferior medical equipment and lack of knowledge are mostly behind us, we haven't rid humanity of this horrible experience quite yet. There is evil in the world that still makes the threat of being buried alive a valid concern, as some of these stories point out. So I've been searched the internet um, for stories just short little stories of like true stories of people being buried alive Mm. um a lot of these cases but not all were from historyhit.com so this one is about a woman called octavia smith hatcher and this is from 1891 so octavia lived in the city of pikeville kentucky After her infant son died in 1891, Octavia was bedridden with depression and slipped into a coma. On May 2nd, she was pronounced dead from unknown causes. Embalming wasn't an option at the time, and because it was an unusually hot summer, Octavia was buried quickly. However, many other townspeople appeared to be struck with a similar sickness that caused them to fall into a coma. Crucially, those afflicted would wake up eventually. So Octavia's husband, James, began to fear the worst and so exhumed his wife's coffin, only to discover that his fears were true. The lining on the coffin had been scratched and torn to pieces and the glass on the top was smashed and shattered over Octavia's body. Um... 
Her nails were bloodied and broken, and her face was twisted with terror. Ugh, God. Yeah. So he reburied her, and and he reportedly uh, developed a severe phobia of being buried alive after that. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine if you did that to me, lover. Alive. (laughs) Well, definitely. Make sure I'm dead. Make sure you're dead. I'll leave your body for a couple of days. I don't have any <laughs> like stories of it, but I have heard like on this list. But I have heard of stories of people waking up and they're going to be cremated. Freaking hell! Yeah, like screams coming from the coffin as it's just gone into the fire, and they've been pulled out. Jesus. Yeah, Jed have got some stories about that. Yeah. Um, I also like know of stories of people waking up in the morgue as well yeah um but we're talking about being buried alive so mm. our next story is about a guy called angelo hayes and this is from 1937 so in 1937 19 year old frenchman angelo hayes went for a motorcycle ride he crashed the bike and slammed headfirst into a brick wall when help arrived, Hayes' head was mangled and he had no pulse. He looked so terrible that his parents were kept from seeing him. He was declared dead and buried three days later. So in, in nearby Bordeaux, an insurance company became suspicious since Angelo's father had recently taken out life insurance for his son of 200,000 francs. An investigator had Angelo's body exhumed two days after the funeral and was surprised to discover that the body was still warm. What? The theory goes that Angelo survived because his body put itself into a deep coma that required very little oxygen to survive. Mm. Miraculously, Angelo made a full recovery and became something of a celebrity. He also profited out of his terrible experience by inventing a security coffin that contained a small oven, refrigerator and hi-fi cassette (laughs) player, which he demonstrated at a fair in 1974 by surviving 30 hours buried alive underground. That's a little picture of his... Wow. Well, you can see what his body did. He put himself into his coma and he was buried. Yeah, reminds me of the yogi. The yogi, yeah. So if the yogi could self-induce a sort of stasis or paralysis. Yeah, but then you'd need no oxygen if you're not in a coffin. They're not in coffins, are they? Yeah, well, that's what they said. They would put themselves into a form of. It's the ultimate, like, form where the body doesn't need um, oxygen anymore because the yogis believe that our body survives on prana which is life energy Mm. and oxygen uh provides that life energy for us but you can give you can supplant your body instead of oxygen with just pure prana and so that's what they would do to keep their bodies preserved but makes a bit it's a bit more feasible when you step above the breatharian yeah Yeah, so there you have some kind of evidence of that. It's obviously, it's only two days, but like, yeah, crazy. How crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that he was buried alive it's nice and then that brought he's, back he's up. He survived. Like, yeah. 
Um, so the next case is more recent. This one's from 1987 and it's about a guy called Stephen Small or Stephen Small. Um, so a media heir, Stephen Small was... I think it's Stephen. S- Stephen Small. Because it's either Stefan or Stephen, right? Because Stephen Fry is S-T-E-P-H-E-N. Okay. So yeah. Stephen Small was kidnapped. Or Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Continue. <laughs> All right. Got to get the name right, though. I would say it's it's Stephen. That's what I originally yeah. thought. Yeah, I think so. Um, was kidnapped at gunpoint and buried alive a meter underground in a wooden box in 1987. So he was kidnapped. Kind of the worst case scenario. So he just kidnapped and they were like, all right, now you go under it. His kidnappers, Danny Edwards and Nancy Rish, asked his family for $1 million ransom, which they intended to pay. Various phone calls to the family were garbled and unclear, and meaning that the police had little to go on. The police located small... Um, his maroon Mercedes near the site where he was buried and discovered a grisly scene. Though Edward and Rich provided Small with an oxygen tube, a gallon of water, a torch, candy bars and gum, he ended up suffocating after his breathing tube failed. Mm. Edward and Rich were sentenced to life in prison. Damn. Yeah. How deep was he? He didn't say, uh, but he was buried in a coffin and, um, his, you know, breathing tube failed. It's probably a bloody stink bug that got him to his breathing tube. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Horrible. I read like a creepy pasta where a similar thing happened and it was just like reading it from the perspective of someone who got buried was really scary. So the next one is a guy called Matthew Wall. In the late 6th century, while Matthew's body was being taken to his grave, um, this is in England, one of the pallbearers tripped and the coffin fell. To everyone's surprise, Matthew woke up. (laughs) He went on to celebrate his resurrection every year after. (laughs) (laughs) So that was just a a little one there. Got a new birthday. Resurrection day. Yeah. That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, knocked him out of his coma. Like, luckily... Did you say the pool boy? No, the... The pool bearers. Which pool? is the... P-O-O-L? P-A-L. Oh, Paul. Paul. Okay. Um, the pool bearers, I guess they're, like, the people who hold the coffin. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the last one is Virginia MacDonald, and this was in 1851. Virginia was living with her dad in New York when she became ill. 
She died and was buried in Brooklyn. Following the burial, however, her mother told people that she didn't think that her daughter was dead. Apparently, she was convincing enough that they dug up Virginia's body. The investigators found that she had, in fact, been buried alive and there were scratch marks evident on the inside of her coffin. So that is, like, where... Like a lot of the evidence comes from it's like scratch marks found on the coffin mm. um, I read tons more stories than this but they're all pretty similar so um, that's they'll like basically for some reason they pull the body back out and then they see these signs that this person was obviously alive in the coffin like things like scratch marks and stuff so yeah so I'll be sure to shoot you a couple times or you shoot me a couple of times, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, they, I read one story that um, the uh, sister of someone that this happened to um, was became so scared of being buried alive that she made like her family promise to behead her before mm, yeah. they buried her. Beheading, that's quite intense to behead your own sibling or daughter yeah i guess in those days it was a thing and i guess it would just definitely mean that you're dead you know yeah or just at least slit your their wrists so they bleed out that's like probably more slow and painful death if you are paralyzed or in a coma oh yeah yeah well luckily we kind of know mainly like still, nowadays it still but... does happen there is cases many cases yeah. but they actually it doesn't get to the point of buried alive because they're either cremated and or they wake up in the morgue like there's tons of um you know even my my auntie's a policewoman and she told me you know not that long ago um you know in the last 10 years a, a case came up where this person woke up in a morgue mm. and you know it was pretty gruesome yeah crazy yeah that's my spooky stories hopefully everyone will be able to sleep okay tonight yeah i definitely want to get a nice dose of sunshine after this episode yeah after well, all that the sun black is... plague and death and yeah the sun is still shining yeah it's a beautiful mm. day here in the south of france luckily it is a beautiful day, and uh, we can go practice shooting targets just in case uh, we need to shoot each other before burial. Mm, awesome. <laughs> I'd rather not be shot, though, okay. before burial. I'll just... Uh, yeah, I'll just leave you on the, a chair for several days. Yeah, that's only best. Yeah, but what if you are in a coma and you're just starving? <laughs> Well, obviously, ask, ask get my body tested by professionals. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> <Joking>. <laughs> anyway, it's enough of this talk of death. Yeah, guys. So hopefully this, you at least found this interesting and, or were scared enough to. Uh, I think it's been a really interesting episode, definitely. Yeah. Creepy. But interesting. I thought there was a cool glimpse into the past with the plague doctors and like kind of how medicine was like then and like just imagining these guys stuffing their beak 
noses with all this these fumes these uh herbs and stuff and yeah and thinking of all those people who luckily some survived those <laughs> made it out of those being buried alive yeah yeah so um we have i think one more episode for october um halloweeny kind of theme and we don't know what that will be yet but we will definitely see and yeah it looks like we have recorded this entire video so i am going to transmit it instantly to my computer so that we have it and it doesn't get lost to the cloud like last time so yeah thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week yeah, bye. Cube Fog Machine. Woo! Yeah, so you wanna go do some archery? Should we post for Get out in now? the sun.